Kui, darling. I'm Glyn Fussell, and welcome to We Can Be Heroes. I'm beyond delighted to introduce you to some people who embody what it means to be absolute champions. These are individuals who have inspired, stood up for change, and shine bright. From superstar highs to the awkward teenage years, come with me on a journey of discovery to find out what makes these people my personal heroes, and I guarantee they will be yours too. Today's hero is the embodiment of joy. People said to me, oh, do you wish you weren't disabled? But I never saw it like that. I've always had this attitude and this positivity because I feel great to be alive. Vivacious and just so attractively lively, she is one hell of a funny person and a comedian by trade. You cannot help but feel warmed in her presence. It is Rosie Jones. Rosie Jones, when I think about joy, I think about you. <gasps> well... I am honestly always so happy because what is there not to be happy about? We are living the goddamn dream. Yeah, you're so right. But you know what? A lot of people don't look at life like that and especially at the moment but I do feel like there's nothing that could sort of bring down your ray of sunshine not really um, <laughs> no even talking about this past year like everyone in 2020 I had plans and I was disappointed and um, yeah I was a bit sad but actually on the whole I got to spend the whole year with my loved ones I got to really sit down and take in my crazy like, <laughs> rise. So actually, although something like last year, yeah, it didn't go to plan, I was still able to look at the positives and focus on what made me happy. Honestly, I reckon I could fall face first in this steaming pile of horseshit and I would still go, <laughs> well, it's okay, I've heard it's a moisturizer. I hope, I heard it made your skin look glowing. And that's it, you got to find the positive 
and everything, including horse manure. <laughs> <laughs> God, well, there's, there's a mantra to live by. I mean, we all get sad. We all have moments in life that are tragic. And have you always had that outlook on life? And how do you deal with those sad moments and turn them around? Yeah. And I think a lot of it is in my disability. So I've forgot cerebral palsy and it happened at birth. I stopped breathing for 17 minutes. So growing up, people said to me, Oh, do you wish you weren't disabled? But I never saw it like that. I saw it the other way round of going, thank God I started breathing. Because at the same time, yeah, sure, I could have been able-bodied, but more likely, I could have fucking died. So, yeah, I've always had this attitude and this positivity because I feel grateful to be alive. Saying that though, I'm 30 and lockdown really made me look back at my life and I am a naturally positive person but also I really like people saying Oh, Rosie, I love her. She's always so happy. And the truth is, that is me 98% of the time. Obviously, I'm still a human being. And I still get down sometimes. Not widely, never about my disability. Just about normal life shit. But it's knowing yourself. It's knowing how to manage it. And usually all I need is a few hours on my own, some pickled onion monster munch, <laughs> and a great, <laughs> a great series about a lovely serial murderer. <laughs> and that would cheer me right up. So it's knowing yourself. It's yeah. allowing yourself to go, right, I want to just 
takes some time for me be sad and then ride the wave and then pick up the crumbs and monster munch yes. off your tits and you get on with your day. I totally agree with you. I think that when you fight against sadness, it lasts longer. You've got to just indulge it. That's it. I think I've been a lot of my 20s ignoring the sadness mm, yeah. and going, no, no, I'm all right. And communication is good. And I got loads of great friends I can talk to but actually knowing myself sometimes I just need to be on my own and ride it out yes I've been lucky enough to talk to you before and honestly it was amazing I remember something stayed with me it really resonated with me and I thought it was genius And it was, you said that you were equipped for fame because you were always famous in your town for being that disabled girl. Yeah. So how did you take that as this positive? Because I think that being the only one, whatever that is, and being sometimes ostracized, picked on, pointed at, that can go the other way and it can lead to trauma and um, feeling like a victim and I feel like you've used that as your superpower. Yeah, it's a weird, isn't it? And I, I don't know how to, like, really work out what I just think it's a combination of different things. So I think it's my genetics. My dad is so confident, will literally talk to anyone. My mum is so funny, she can make me cry with laughter. So firstly, it's a magic genetics of being born this funny confident person and I think even if I were able bodied they will be two of my traits also it's me being stubborn and yet being that only disabled person in a school of 1500 and really the only person with CP in my whole town so just Again, from a very young age, knowing that when I walk into a room, when I walk down the street, people will look at me, not always in a rude way, 
what more of it? Oh, she's different. Or, oh, um, does she need help? So when you combine that with my confident, funny, stubborn nature, I would think, right, they're already looking and that is something I can't help. How do I turn it round to make sure I'm the reason why they're looking? I'm in control. So it's a thing of, fine, you're already looking. I've already got your attention. Let's make this a positive experience. So even before comedy, I will be the one cracking jokes at myself or at my disability. So you could see people going, Ow, ow, she's disabled, but she's intelligent, but she's funny, but she's lovely. So I love being able to turn it around to my favour. So yeah, it's so many different things. I think it started as a bit of an armour for myself so that I can't control them looking, but I can control why they're looking and how long for. I mean, you've said before that, you know, when people feel awkward, the best thing is to crack a joke. What do you think it is about comedy and just having a good sense of humour that's such a good leveller? Oh, it is such a good leveller. I think comedy shows intelligence. I think it was Billy Connolly who said comedians should run countries because... (laughs) Actually, in order to be a comedian, you are intelligent because you're controlling what the audience thinks about you. So I always was aware of the importance of comedy and the importance of cracking a joke 
and also away from intelligence, away from changing people's perceptions of me as a person and disability in general, just on a simple, selfish level, how good is it to make people laugh? Just being able to say something and do something with your face or your body, bringing people joy is the most fun ever. So, yeah, from being a very young girl, I just found so much joy in being able to bring other people joy and happiness. Amazing. I mean, you mentioned your mum and dad there, and I think, I, I feel like obviously they're part of who you are and why you do what you do. But if, you know, your comedy is so personal and also... It's very raw and yet very brash, which I love. Um, so, I mean, who encouraged not only for you to be in the spotlight, but for that to be your style? I don't know. I don't really know. I think a lot of it is my personality. Like, if you know me, even at the pub, I'm a big swearer, I love talking about sex and everything, like nothing's off the table for me. But also, it is a bit of my stubbornness of growing up because of my disability because I speak slowly and I wobble a lot. A lot of people think I'm cute and adorable and angelic and I, I mean at the moment I'm wearing a t-shirt with dinosaurs on and a pair of dungarees. It's very kids TV presenter in the 90s. Yeah, so yeah. I like playing into this adorable image of me and then I love <laughs> surprising them by coming out with something filthy or dirty <laughs> because it surprises everyone. <laughs> So that is so funny, but on a serious level, I do it because I'm like, 
fuck you, like, just to make out I'm disabled doesn't mean I can't be a sexual being, a shag, a wanker lot. So it's going out and going every preconception you have about disability, you're wrong because actually I'm just like every other 30 year old woman. Because that's a real problem, isn't it? How disability is represented in media. I would say yeah. in particular, it's always one note. You know, you can't be sexual, you can't be sexual and disabled, you cannot be, heaven forbid, queer yeah. and disabled. Yeah. yeah. It's always very tokenistic. Disability yeah. is the story. Is the yeah. story. Well, actually, yeah, you say one note, it's always one extreme so either the disabled person is that angelic victim virgin who never had sex and you need to save them and they don't have any flaws and they can't help themselves. They're either that, or if you go back in time, they're the villain, they're the evil one, mm. they're the James Bond baddie, they're the one who's bitter and crippled and just out for revenge because their disability has made them hate the world. And that, as well, is wrong. Like, how do we still live in a world where a disabled person has either got to be the victim or the villain. Mm. Like, I'm trying to go out there and go, look, I'm flawed, but also I'm funny, I got friends, I got family, I'm a human being with so many layers. I'm a 30-year-old just trying to get life right. And sometimes I do, and sometimes I fuck up like everyone and it's a job of the media mainly to go why don't we start portraying disabled characters like everyone else and stop 
being lazy and just using their word disability as a personality trait because that's the other thing. 20% of the UK have, have a disability. That's millions of different mm. people. And just because we're all classed under the same branch doesn't mean we're all the same. Wow. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, there's a lot of fear around that thing of getting it right. But the stories need to be told. And I feel like you're there at the forefront, uh, destigmatizing how disabled people are represented on screen. And obviously, you're also a writer, an amazing writer. So do you have a plan, Rosie Jones, to change the world, is what I'm saying? No, I don't. I don't. I have a plan to make people laugh. Yeah. I have a plan to live my life and say yes to a lot of things and bring joy to people's lives. I also have a plan to say fuck you to society and anything that people say, oh, you can't do that. I'm a bit like, yes, I bloody can. You watch me. So basically... My plan is to do what I want, when I want, and as a offshoot of that plan, if I change the world on the way, so be it. I feel like I would have a massive, massive ego if I said, hello, I'm Rosie, I'm disabled, and I'm going to change the world for all disabled people. I don't know what it's like to be a blind man in Africa. Yeah. You know, every disabled person is different and I think I will be such a twat if I sat here and went, hello, I speak on behalf of over a billion people in the world. I speak for one person. I speak for myself. And what it's like to be a queer, disabled, 
30-year-old woman living in London right now and uh, people can relate to that. Great. If it changes people's views on disability, great. But I feel like that isn't my main focus. My main focus is just to have a bloody laugh. And tell people to fuck off. Yes, when they're being dickheads. I think sometimes being ruled out by mainstream society is one of the most useful tools ever because you sort of sneak in round the back without anyone expecting anything of you and you yeah. can achieve such greatness, right? Honestly, I say this from the bottom of my heart. Like... Who would want to be mainstream? Who? Like, and I hate their word, but for decades, they've been described as normal. And if that is what it's like to be normal, please... Count me out, because, because I love being me. I love that I can walk down the street and there's no one like me. And you're absolutely right. I love performing because... I am so unapologetically me. I'm like, right, here I am to tell you some jokes. You're gonna fucking love it. And if you don't, I don't care because you lot can fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to take you back to that very famous question time speech. And you made your debut as November 2020, I believe. Yeah. And it was such a powerful speech to Fiona Bruce and Health Secretary Matt Hancock. And I just want to quote the opening line. I mean, you know, because you wrote it. <laughs> but I was going to say that disabled people are overlooked, but they are not. They are deliberately ignored because disabled people need more care and more money. And it was such a powerful speech that resonated with so many people and, and I think forced a lot of people to look at disability in a different way. And it was just straight to the point. So was this something that you'd been writing in your head for most of your life? No, it's interesting because I'm a workaholic. And my agent gets so annoyed with me because I literally say yes to everything. <laughs> like, what? Celebrity pointless? 
Yeah, I'll do that. Thank you. Because I love working and they question time offer came in and I was so hesitant because it is not a comedy show. Like, I could not go on there and rely on a joke about my tits. Like, that would not go down well. (laughs) And uh, like I said, I always make sure that people know that I'm not speaking for disabled people. Mm. I am speaking for myself. Um, But it got to a point in November. So at that point we were seven months into the pandemic and I had got quite political in terms of disability and I really feel like everyone was saying oh don't worry it only kills people with pre-existing health conditions and if you change that wording so slightly people were saying oh don't worry it only kills disabled people like that's essentially what it was so whilst I say I never speak for disabled people, we got to a point where nobody was speaking for disabled people, that they were being ignored. And I felt like I, I would be very foolish. I would be very foolish not to take up that opportunity. So I broke my own rule, and for half an hour. I was like, hello, I'm disabled, no jokes, this is what it's like to have a disability under the current government in 2021. And the short answer of that is, it's shit. It's fucking shit. So, yeah, I took my opportunity. And, yeah, it went viral. Yeah, people 
quoting me and talked about me and talked about the points I brought up. But actually, people talked about it for 24 hours and then by the next day, people got on with their lives and moved on and nothing's changed and I'll still keep speaking now I'll keep saying hello remember us remember the disabled ones because we make up 22% of your population but I think the sad reality right now with our government is they are still ignoring us and Matt Hancock was able to sit next to me and nod sympathetically and look like he cared but the truth is he did fuck all and I don't think he'll ever do anything so the fight is ongoing and I hope we get there but with the current government, I think we're just stuck. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does feel very much like that. I think you just said about being ignored, and I think sometimes marginalized communities they feel that they really are left on their own to fend for themselves. Yeah. What do you think, you know, anyone that's listening to this, what can someone do? I mean, obviously, past empathy, past actually showing that you give a shit for a fellow human, what can be done? Because a lot of this does get swept under the carpet, you know, out of sight, out of mind. That's it. And I speak out because I can. Mm. Like, I got a physical disability and that's it. Like, what you see is what you get. I talk slowly and I walk slowly, but intellectually I'm okay and I'm able to get out there and use my brilliant platform to campaign. But unfortunately, the reality is it is incredibly hard to campaign for disability rights because a lot of disabled people can't speak out. Yeah, they nice. don't have a platform. And because of this, because society sees them as 
victims mm. and helpless. The, the truth is the government shits on them because they can and no one will speak out. So even if you're able-bodied, even if you don't know any disabled people, be a good ally, speak out, like that could be on such a small level, like if you see a venue or a building that is inaccessible, speak out if you see a disabled person fall over or they're in danger or they get, like me, verbally abused in the street, speak out because certainly when I've had abuse in the street, people hear it, people know what's happening but it's easier for them and their life is if they pretend to ignore it and walk on and then we get on to the bigger subject i.e. government budget, unemployment, the PIP, which is personal independence plan. If you got a disability, your allowances are cut and cut and cut and it's speaking out against them. So, yeah, it's being a good ally, speaking out and going, what can I do? Because that's the thing about disability. If you are black, you're born black. If you're queer, you're born queer. But actually, anyone can become disabled at any point. So even if you're a healthy, able-bodied person, fight! for disability rights because there is a possibility that you're fighting for your rights in a year's time. Yeah, so true, so true. Uh, um, I'm going to switch it up a little here. You are, I mean, you bring me joy. You bring so many joy. And, you and, bring me 
Kevin, Rachel. Stop it, babes. And I want to know a bit about where that joy comes from. So this is something we do with everybody, actually, on the podcast. But I w- I'd love to know a book that's informed your life. And why? I think I'm going to go for a children's book. Philip Pullman, His Dark Materials. Oh, I love it. Because I always need answers. And I've always been inquisitive. And I'm not scared of death, but for a lot of years, I just wanted to know. Like, even if you die and fuck all happens, I just wanted to know that that's what I'm going towards, but I'm quite spiritual, so I knew I needed more than that. And then I read his start materials. And I don't think this is a spoiler, but he describes death and the afterlife and how when you die, your soul becomes part of the earth and part of the atmosphere and you really become part of everything again and that changed my life because hey i now like to think that when i die i'll still be here i'll still be part of the air and the trees and they'll be part of me wafting in every breeze (laughs) all the time. But also recently as well, I've had a few depths in my life and obviously they've really devastated me but there's a a part of me that when I'm out and the breeze goes by I'm like Great, they're part of that breeze. Mm. They're part of where I walk. So, yeah, even though it's a children's book, it's made me go, right, I'm going to love living and I'm not afraid of what happens after yeah have you ever been on a trip that's completely changed your life yeah yeah i have 
so you won't believe it, but when I was a teenager, I had two friends who, in hindsight, they bullied me, but slowly, over the course of five years, and I think on some level they gaslit me in terms of they said I talked too loudly or that was annoying, but they made out like it was my fault and something I needed to change. And I got to the age of 16 and you wouldn't recognise me. Like, I will never speak at school at all. And I went to Barbados and... Barbados for me is just the most beautiful place in the world. The people, the food, the weather, the sea, I mean you can't beat it. And on the way there, my mum said to me, I think you've lost who you are. How about we're in Barbados for two weeks? How about you just be yourself? When you want to laugh, you laugh. Mm. When you want to talk to someone loudly, go ahead. And at that point, I was like, no one will like that. Everyone will think I'm annoying and hate me. And my mum said, A, they won't. But B, even if they do, it's two weeks. Like, you will never need to see them again. So probably just to prove her wrong, I did it. I went to Barbados and I was myself unashamedly so and I talked to everyone and I found myself again mm. and I found happiness and since then this is me and never since have I held back or worried about somebody else and what they think of me 
because there's two weeks in Barbados I could be myself and I thought this is me. Wow, your mum's amazing. She is incredible. So, I mean, this could be your mother. The next is a human that made you who you are. Is that too obvious? You know what? No, it's got to be my mum on so many levels. Firstly, her humour. I wouldn't be a comedian without her. And then her strength. Just showing me that I could be whoever I wanted to be. And her support for everything I do. And I'm able to go out into the world and be myself and do what I want. Because I know with all my heart that if it ever went tits up, she'd be there. Like, and yeah, like you said, it is obvious, but she's the one person that I think without her, I wouldn't be sitting here today. Have you ever had a love that has taught you the biggest lesson? Again, again, boring and obvious, but it's a love of my life. Like, I love them until I die. Comedy. My love for comedy has just been with me all my life. And even when things are too much or too much to handle, and now that watching a stand-up set from Victoria Wood or switching on the Vicar Audibly, it makes everything so much better. Mm. And I, I've been through hard times and challenging times and you really feel that power of comedy and I've been in the most tragic or tense of situations and then somebody will crack a joke or something hilarious will happen and it breaks all the tension and the relief 
and the release is incredible and yet without comedy I don't know who I'd be so yeah above any person I love comedy and finally my love a track that soundtracks your life I've always loved that song and maybe this is maybe in an idiot I've only recently realised it's a queer song I love True Colours oh, Best. It's so good, yeah, Cindy, Cindy Yeah. And I love it so much because whoever you are, like queer, disabled, in quotations, different, I just feel like that's a song that goes... Whoever you are, be yourself. Because if you're true to yourself, you will be loved. And by that I mean you'll be loved by a person or even self-love yeah i really feel like for a lot of my life i cared about other people loving me and what other people think but they're great it's love and the thing that means the most is self-love so yeah that's a song that I just reminds me to be myself and then everything will be okay isn't that the bloody message my darling, it's I, I said it before, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. We always well, go deep, but we yeah, keep it light. We, we barely scratched the surface. Rosie, thank you always. It's an absolute pleasure talking to you. I think you're just magnificent. I loved it so much. For more positive, life-changing stories of inspiration, make sure you hit subscribe. And next time, Felicity Hayward. Plus size models in this country did not exist. When I got scouted in the pub and the shoot came out and then I got signed, I genuinely thought it was a bit of a joke. Until next time, bye.